We believe in prayer, don't we? Jesus told us to pray, the Bible tells us to pray. But the disciples also believed in prayer. And uh, we would assume that anybody knows how to pray. It's pretty simple. I mean, even children know how to pray. I learned the Lord's Prayer since I was a a child. Our Father in heaven, you you, you know, don't you? Nevertheless, the disciples said to Jesus, teach us how to pray. Why would they say that? Because we know how to pray, don't we? If you don't mind, please turn the sound a little, just a bit louder. Teach us how to pray. Can you hear me in the back? Wonderful. Uh, And the book of Romans says that the Holy Spirit has to intercede for us because we don't even know how to? Really? And the disciples were watching Jesus. And Jesus goes to the deaf to the blind, to the paralyzed, to the demon-possessed, and says, be healed, and it happens. And I pray for my back and I am still sick. (laughs) It doesn't happen. Why? And Jesus spoke and thousands came. And I speak and nobody comes. (laughs) And Jesus walked on water and I have to swim. (laughs) Am I right? And I could continue. Why? Why don't we have power? Why don't we convert more people? When Peter spoke, it is the shortest, most simplistic sermon I've heard in my life. Basically, Peter says, Jesus was God and you crucified him. Repent. 5,000 people got baptized. And we preach a whole month and nobody gets baptized. (laughs) What's the problem? Why don't we get victory over our sins? Why don't we have power in our prayers? Why don't we have power to convert our families or our neighbors or our friends? Why don't our churches grow? Why? Well, let me tell you why. And I will try this weekend, though we don't have time, to touch out of 135 slides Maybe about 15 of them. Uh, Let me give you a story as we start. Uh, About 100 years ago, when we moved from Romania to the US, uh, (laughs) my my wife and I were new in that country, in the United States. And we didn't have a driver license, and we didn't have insurance, and we didn't have a work permit, and we didn't have a credit card, and we didn't, you you get the point, don't you? And so I took my bachelor in Southern Adventist University, I finished my bachelor in one year, and then wanted to go to Andrews to take my master's. I finished school, I took uh, spring, about, I don't remember, 25, 26, 27 credits, I took, uh, I mean, the, the fall semester, 27 credits, the spring semester, about another 25, 27 credits, and summer, another 17 or 16 or whatever, 
I'm finished, graduated in one year, and then let's go to Andrews. But when I finished, there was one week between summer classes ended and the fall classes would start in Andrews. In this one week, I had to move out of the apartment with my wife and our two small children. <clears throat> and we didn't have an apartment in Andrews yet. So I called them, I said, uh, do you have an apartment for us? And they said, no. I said, can you give us one? They said, no. I said, why not? Because it takes about six months in line to get an apartment. There is no empty apartment. So you register, and six months later you can come. I said, no, I need to come in one week. And they said, yes. Then you go in the community and find a house to rent. And then the school in Southern told us that we have to move out because the new students come in. And we didn't have a place to go. And uh, a friend of us, Mr. Ralph, that my wife was cleaning his house, said, well, you can come and stay for a week in my house and you can put your stuff in my garage. Well, we didn't have much stuff. A few boxes and a little junk furniture and just, you know, a little clothing and that's it. And so we put our stuff in his garage and lived there. A week later, we were supposed to go to Andrews because school starts, but we didn't have an apartment and we didn't have a way to move our furniture from Tennessee to Michigan. And to rent a U-Haul would have been about $2,500 or more and a credit card, what we didn't have, and a driver license, what we didn't have. So we started to pray. Mr. Ralph got a phone call from a driver, Russell. He says, Ralph, yeah, I'm driving for two pastors that moved from Florida to Michigan. The conference paid me my 18-wheeler to drive these two pastors that go to school. He said, okay, your aunt gave me a little round table to bring to you, so I'm gonna stop by your house to drop the round table. He said, okay. Do you have more room? There is a Romanian family, young family. Can you also move their furniture? No, absolutely not. Why not? Thy truck is gonna be full, packed. This pastor had so much stuff. My truck is full. I loaded one pastor, he was supposed to load half of the truck and he loaded more than half. Well, I'm gonna put the stuff for the second pastor. Absolutely no room. Okay. Seven hours later, it was raining. Extreme rain, heavy rain. It was pouring like under the fire hose, like pouring. Seven hours later, the truck driver stopped on the road by the curb. Mr. Ralph's driveway was long and way in the back of the garage, where it was our boxes with our books and everything. He stops, he runs through the rain with a little table in his hand, drops the table, he says, I go, I got to be tomorrow morning in Andrews. And then Mr. Ralph says, so you don't have room for the Romanian family? Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> but you said that you have no room. Oh, the second pastor changed his mind. He doesn't go to Andrews this year. Well, how much are you going to charge them? Oh, the conference already paid for my trip. I'm not going to charge them anything. <laughs> and then he says, uh, what is your stuff? I said, in that garage. What do you have there? Books, this, <laughs> the rain is gonna destroy them. I said, I know. He says, I'm gonna wait, I cannot wait. The, the weather says 
five hours is going to rain. I cannot wait five hours. Maybe 15 minutes, half an hour, one hour, but not five hours. I got to be in Andrews tomorrow morning. And he went to the truck to leave. My wife and I kneeled down behind the truck in the middle of the road. And we said, Lord, if you want us to go to school, would you please turn off the faucet? <laughs> and in that moment, the rain stopped. Across the street, there was a retired pastor, and the guy was, the garage door opened, Pavel, please, Pavel, please, don't move your stuff, the rain is going to rain your books, please. Next house, an English teacher, retired, she was watching, and she told me, don't get your books in the rain, you are going to destroy everything. We kneeled down, we prayed, the rain stopped. It took us about one hour and a half to carry the little furniture that we had and the books and everything. In the moment, in the split of the second, when the truck driver closed the back doors, started to rain. He had no time to get from the doors to the driver door. He got wet. In that moment, the pastor was, wow, wow, wow. I said, are you okay? I said, just breathe, you know. <laughs> good man, good guy, very sweet, very polite, uh, ready to help. But he was, something was going on. Wow, wow. I said, what's going on? I've never seen, I go to church, I pray, I preach, but, but I've never seen anything like that before. I've been a pastor all my life, I am a... I don't know what he said, 11th generation Adventist, I'm kidding. But anyway, he says, I've been in church all my life. I've never seen anything like that before. I said, God is real. But, but I've never seen anything like And then guess what he did? He went to the next house and he told them the story. And then he went to the next house and he told them the story. And he went to the next house. And then he came on the other side of the street to the next house. And he went, I said, why do you do that? Because until now, I, I, I talked about it. But now, I've seen it. Why don't we have power? Why don't we have power? Because when Jesus told us, when Jesus told us, go from Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the end of the world. And so, when Jesus told them, go and tell, and make disciples from all nations, teaching them. You remember? We call that the great suggestion. Huh? Uh -uh. It's the great commission. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. When Jesus told them that, Something happened, and I'm going to explain a little what happened. And we see that repeated again and again. And let me explain. I'm going to read to you a paragraph. Actually, I'm going to save my voice and have you read it. That they may have success in their work. Say it.
Okay, now listen carefully. Listen carefully. This is, this is extreme. This is extreme. If you read carefully, it says the most essential and most complete gift. Am I right? And then he says that this gift, when this gift comes, is going to bring in this gift what? What means boundless? What means endless? Unlimited. What means unlimited? That's huge. That's infinite. Unlimited resources. What is that gift that Jesus talked about? Listen carefully. Jesus told them something that we fail to understand. Jesus, before he said go, Jesus says in the Bible, if you read carefully, do not go. Do not go. Acts chapter 1 verse 4. Do not go. Don't you attempt to do God's work in human strategies and methods and plans and power. Because to do God's work, you need God's power. Because you don't fight against human powers. You fight against spiritual forces. Am I right? Amen. Not against blood and flesh. Don't you attempt to do God's work having a board meeting. And you discuss. Board meetings, don't get me wrong, they are good. But still we have no results. And you make a plan. And then you talk to the church. And then you work. And nothing happens. And then you make another plan. And then you talk to the church. And nothing happens. And we have done, we have been doing that forever. And we don't learn our lessons. That's this really poor business. Listen, Jesus said, do not go. But wait in the, wait, wait, <clears throat> wait, 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 wait. Wait in the city. And do what? Oh, for me it's a lot easier to do than to pray. I am a doer. I don't feel good unless I do it. If you come and install the outlet after you leave, I go and fix it myself because I don't trust anybody except me. <laughs> do you know people that are that way? I have to check what you did because I don't trust you. Unless I touch it, it's not good. You fix the car, I got to test it and then come back talk to the general manager because you didn't do a good job. I am picky. I am controlling. Jesus says, take your hands off my work. Because this is not in human power or wisdom. It is by my spirit, says the Lord. Listen carefully. Do not go, but wait and pray. How long should you wait, Jesus? How long should you pray, Jesus? Well, uh, we have the answer, Jesus. We have 10 days of prayer in January. Is this good or bad? It's good, but did Jesus say 10 days? Well, Jesus, we have a better answer. We have 40 days of prayer in April. Did Jesus say 40 days? What did Jesus say? Pray until. Pray 
Until. How long is until? How long is until? As long as it takes. As long as it takes. Pray until. Pray until. Pray until. Pray until you receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you shall receive power. Then go. This is what we miss. The disciples had no success whatsoever. After they prayed in the upper room, Ellen White says clearly, they, quote, obeyed Jesus' command. It was a command. It was not a suggestion. She says, quote, they obeyed Jesus' command, waiting and praying until they received the Holy Spirit. They obeyed Jesus' command. Why don't you and me pray until we receive the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit as the early rain enabled them to start the work and only the Holy Spirit as the latter rain will enable us to finish the work. And to receive the Holy Spirit, we must pray. Otherwise, we will never finish the work. And so, 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 let me explain. Let me explain. The disciples, how many people were they? A hand of them. Uh, 11 plus about 120. How many people are here tonight? 500? Doesn't matter. Let's take this group, first three rows. Just you. One, two, three. Okay, now you, you don't look very happy. You should say, yay! Okay, let's take these three rows. The first, thank you, thank you. You see, you need, you need to repent. These three rows. If Jesus talks to you and says, I want you to evangelize whole Queensland, every village, every street, every, can you, these three rows, do it? What if Jesus tells you, I want you to evangelize the whole Australia? You, just you, just you. No help from the others. The whole United States, the whole Japan, the whole Asia, let's say, the whole Germany, let's say the whole Europe, can you, these people, do it? Be honest. If you can, why don't you evangelize your street? Do you follow me? The disciples didn't have Facebook, did they? Didn't have cell phone, did they? didn't have cars, didn't have money. In fact, they were persecuted. Am I right? It was nonsense to tell that group without car, without trains, without, to evangelize the whole world. How in the world could they do that? Ellen White says they knew that they cannot do it. They knew that the task is absolutely impossible for the human power. Therefore, she says, they prayed in total humility for the power of the Holy Spirit. They knew that they are unable to do it. Why do you think that you can do it or I can do it without the power of the Holy Spirit? And if we can do it only through the Holy Spirit, why don't we pray for the Holy Spirit? Ellen White says, Satan knows that if we pray, I put it in my words, for the Holy Spirit will finish the work. And Satan is trying to distract us from this most essential subject. And I'm going to give you the quotations. So let me continue a little. 
just to continue a little. Jesus said to the disciples, whenever two or pray in my name, I am there. But then, if you keep reading, right there, it says, because whenever two or three pray in one accord, he's not talking about being in Honda accord. <laughs> one accord means unity of purpose. We all agree we pray for this. You, you understand? That means whenever we pray together, 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 that's a big word, togetherness, the unity, that you decide to come together and pray together has power. Prayer together has power. And Jesus says not only to pray together, but to pray in unity of purpose. You give up your needs, you give up your needs, I give up my needs, and we all unite for one request. But pastor, I, I, I need a job. I know you do. But today, we don't pray for your job. Pastor, uh, but I am sick. I know you do, I'm so sorry. But today, we don't pray for your healing. Today, we all get together and pray for one and only one request. And that's, we pray for the outpouring of the? The disciples, says Ellen White, gave up their needs. And she says they didn't pray for any other things, but they, in unity, prayed for one and one purpose. To receive, she says, the promise. She calls the Holy Spirit the promise. To receive the promise. When we get together in unity and pray for one purpose, Lord, I don't care if I live or die. I don't care what's going to happen to my job or my health, but I do care for one thing. You promised the most essential gift that we need. Please, pour the Holy Spirit. Because you said, if you who are evil give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father in heaven will give the? To those who? Then why don't we ask? Well, let me continue a little in this direction. Let me continue a little. Did he change? Yeah. So, in obedience to Christ's command, they waited for the opening of the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, they were supposed to receive marvelous power. Marvelous power. You know what that means, marvelous power? We don't know what power means. <clears throat> Now I want to explain something very important. Jesus said to them, you are my witnesses. You know the Greek word in the original Bible, the word witnesses? Who knows the word? Martus. That means we have the word martyr from. Jesus didn't say you are my witnesses. Jesus says you are my martyrs. Did you know that? You are my martyrs. The disciples knew, Ellen White says, and I'm going to give you the quotation. She says they knew that their testimony is going to cost them their life. 
They knew that if they go out and preach, they will be killed. Sister Biula, when you crossed the border, you knew that you could lose your life or your freedom. Didn't you? It has happened to me many times and to my father. Many times. I know exactly what you talk about. The disciples, they knew that it's going to cost them their life. Nevertheless, they preached, the Bible says, with boldness. <laughs> I mean, the Pharisees told Peter, stop preaching. And Peter said, should I listen to you or to God? <laughs> Let me give you a quick story. Just, just, just about 20 minutes story. Quick. <laughs> we had, when I grew up, we had a church that was really, really, really old. I have pictures. I don't have time. I could put pictures on the screen. Really old. I mean, so old that the bathrooms didn't have a toilet seat. It was a hole in the ground. Mm -hmm. And many times I would look down because there was stuff moving down there. <laughs> Sorry. And I was afraid. What if the dirt breaks and I fall down in the hole? I was afraid. And the church was old and the toilets were old. The walls were plywood that was already rotten. So if you leaned against the wall, you may fall in the toilet. <laughs> it was old. And my father was a man of prayer. And my father prayed all the time. And I remember going to the kitchen to eat during the middle of the night. And he was praying. And in the morning he was praying. And in the evening he was praying. And I said, why do you pray so much? And he said to me, I pray until I am filled with God's presence. Until I am filled with God's spirit to the degree that I don't control my life anymore. Jesus controls my life. And he said, the more I pray, the more I learn God's voice, the more I allow God to lead and to control me, the less I use my judgment and my wisdom, the more God can live in me and people can see Jesus in me. And my father, I remember, he talked to the pastor and he said, Pastor, our church is old. We all have homes, don't we? We all have garages and we all have cars and we all have this and that and furniture that we don't need so expensive and we all have clothing that we never use and we all have, you know, stuff. My wife and I learned, learned the meaning of stuff. When we moved, we put it all in three trailers and then we moved to stay with our children a few months because they gave birth and they needed help. And the stuff has been in trailer and we don't use it. So we concluded that we don't actually need it. And then we wonder why did we work so hard to kill ourselves to buy it if we don't use it? Nonsense and the fire is going to burn it. So we looked in the trailer and said, let's use it. And it was already full of mold. So we said, you know what? Whatever doesn't have mold, let's give it away. It's a sin to keep it there. We buy stuff, we have stuff. So my father said, Pastor, we all have stuff. And we live for us because we are very selfish. Why don't we invest in the church? Let's build a church. But it was during communism. During communism, you are not allowed to build a church. You are not allowed to buy a chair for the church. Moreover, to build a church. If you would buy a chair, you would be arrested. You had to ask government permission to buy a piano, to buy a chair. Anything that you did in the church, you need government permission. And they never gave you permission. Therefore, people bought it, brought it to the church. And if the inspector of religions came and said, 
Do you have permission? You got new chairs. People said, well, we bought them for home. These are our chairs. And we brought them to church because we don't have something to sit on. <laughs> and so the pastor said, we cannot build a church. If we build a church, you'll get arrested. All of us will go to prison. And my father said, well, in Revelation, I believe chapter 17, somewhere there, it's a list of people who will not go to heaven. Top of the list are people who are afraid. Should we be afraid? Because if you have God, you have no fear. If you have fear, you don't have God. Or you have a different God. Or you have a very small God. Because if you have the infinite God, why are you afraid? You should go in the fiery furnace without being afraid. Am I right? Or in the lion's den. If God is with you, who can be against you? So my father said, why be afraid? Let's build a church. So they talked to the board. When they talked to the board, the whole board got under the chairs, hiding. <laughs> Don't talk that way. If the police would find out, we all go to prison. And my father said, chickens. <laughs> yes, let's go to prison. Remember, if Joseph didn't go to prison, he would have never been prime minister. Let's go to prison. Maybe we become prime ministers. <laughs> so my father said, let's build a church. They started to build a church. We all worked. I was in fifth grade. I still have a scar here from a two-by-four when I jumped from the scaffolding and it was a two-by-four and grabbed me and just took the skin. And we all worked. Young, old, men, women, pastor, his wife, everybody worked. And we worked only during the night because during the day they would see us and arrest us. And we didn't use any lights we worked at the light of the moon, and we didn't use any power tools because nobody could, should hear us. We, we just did everything quiet. And we started to work at 11 p.m. and left at 5 a.m. And those people had jobs. They worked in the night at the church, and during the day they went to work. Can you do that? That's sacrifice. And we were wondering how people are going to last after two nights of work. This is amazing. It doesn't get in my mind. It took three months. And we finished the church and nobody was tired. It's like Israel walked and their shoes after 40 years were still new. It's unbelievable. And we finished the church and I remember one night, it was not ready yet, it didn't, it didn't have a roof. We left the front wall of the old church standing and we built the new church hiding behind the front wall of the old church. But eventually, the new church was taller than the front wall of the old church. And we still didn't have a roof. And one night, it was raining. We were working. It was 2, 3 a.m. We were working really hard <coughs> in the rain, wet like a turkey, really wet. And I remember I was whistling. I don't remember the song. It was a second coming song. I believe it sounds like... He says, for a long time, I've been waiting for the paradise. For a long time, I've been waiting for heaven. I am waiting for heaven. And as, as, as I was whistling, and it was raining, and we were working, somebody started to bang in the front gate of the front yard of the church. Pim, pim, pim. Open the gate. This is police. Police officers. They were informed that we are building a church. People started to cry. People gathered together. 
in the back of the new construction, there was a balcony. Above, it was supposed to be the choir at the balcony. They gathered under the balcony and they started to cry. We all go to prison. We are going to die. We will be persecuted. We will be tortured. We will be beaten. My father said, get busy praying. I'm going to go to the gate. My father went to the gate. Who is there? Police, open the gate. My father says, do you have a warrant? No, we don't. Then I don't open the gate. Aren't you afraid? We are going to terminate you. I'm okay to be terminated when you have a warrant. We cannot get a warrant. It's 2 a.m. The judge is sleeping. Then come when you have one. Bye. (laughs) You'll pay for it. Gladly when you have a warrant. Bye. (laughs) He came back. People were crying. He said, why are you crying? If you pray, God is here. When two or three pray together, God promised that he's there. God is here. If God is here, who can touch you? And if God allows them to touch you, as he allowed them to touch Joseph, it means that you need to be touched. So why are you crying? If God is in control. If he's not only a theory, then why are you afraid? This, uh, uh, okay, we are not afraid. Please, Lord, save our life. And my father said, why are you praying to be saved your life? You are supposed to pray for the church, not for you. <laughs> Did you hear? You want me to repeat what he said? Why <clears throat> are you praying Focused on your needs. Whoa. This is radical. This is major. Because I have needs. Don't you? Who doesn't have needs? (laughs) We have real needs, don't we? People with cancer. People that lost jobs. People in divorce. people, People have needs. And the Bible says it's okay to cast all your needs upon him. Am I right? But... Jesus says, <coughs> whoever <coughs> doesn't give up, doesn't say mother-in-law, that would be easy. <laughs> whoever doesn't give up, mother and father and husband and wife and children and self is not worthy to be my disciple. And Paul says, I consider how many things? How much means all? I looked in the Greek translation. I did the translation myself. You know how you translate the word all? Simply all. (laughs) Paul says, I consider all that means your health, your life, your freedom, your bank account, your house, your job. Yes or no? I consider all things garbage. The word is kubalon. You know what kubalon means? Animal excrements. I consider all things garbage for the price of knowing Jesus. And I I don't want to know only Jesus and his blessings. I want to know his death and his sacrifice and his cross. I want to be one with his suffering, he says. Do you want to be one with his suffering? Because I want to be one with his blessings. Hello? Did you hear what I said? I want to be one with his sufferings. That I, may, I want to die with him that I may be resurrected with him. Hello? Uh-huh. So my father said to them, why are you focused on your freedom? Shouldn't you say, he said, I shall decrease and he <clears throat> shall increase. And my father said, forget self. 
Jesus gave up self and became nothing that you may be saved. And he is calling you to sacrifice self in order to be like Jesus. He doesn't call you to blessings. He calls you to sacrifice unto death. And Jesus says, unless a grain will die, he will never produce fruits. Now you know why we don't produce fruits. Because we don't die. We just love to be alive. I mean, I, I'm happy to, to eat tofu. I'm happy to return my tithe. But don't ask me to die. Please. To die? Uh-uh. That's not good. And Jesus said, unless you die, you'll never live. Because Jesus died for you, and he's calling you to die for him. And if you are not willing to die, that means that you love self more than you love Jesus. That means that you worship self. Am I right or wrong? So my father said to them, you need to focus on God, not on self. He needs to be the center, not you. You need to have right priorities. Before you ask for your needs, you need to ask for God's needs. You need to put God's honor above your life. God's work above your needs. You need to say, Lord, <clears throat> yes, we may die. We may go to prison. That's okay. You died for us. God died for me. Shouldn't I be happy to die for God? If he was willing to die for me, who am I not to die for him? But this is not the point, Lord. I'm happy to die for you. The point is, if they demolish this church and put us in prison, my father said, what is the city going to say about you, God? We don't care what happens to us. We care what happens to you. What happens to your name, to your honor, to your church, to your work in this area. People will say there is no God. So, Lord, don't work for us. Do to us whatever you want. But do something for you. Do something that this city will know that there is a God in heaven. Do something that this city will know that God is real. And they will believe in you. Because they are communists. They don't know God. So my father turned the attention from self to God. And they started to pray that way. And then my father said, well, God told Joshua, Sanctify yourself, because tomorrow the Lord is going to do great things among you. And my father said, we need to sanctify ourselves so God could come in our midst. My father went to another elder and says, brother, please forgive me. And the elder said, why? Well, at home with my wife, we criticized you pretty bad. <laughs> the other elder says, well, me and my wife talked about you really bad too, because I don't like you. And my father said, would you forgive me? Yes. They hugged each other. They started to cry. Soon enough, another one, another one. The whole church started to confess and to ask forgiveness and to hug each other. I've never seen that before. It was the best sermon I've heard in my life. There was no sermon. Everybody said, please forgive me. And hugging each other, it was a sweet spirit. You could sense the presence of the spirit right there. And then, after they hugged each other and they prayed for God's honor, it's like they didn't even know that the police was supposed to arrest them. They forgot about communism. They forgot about prison. They, it, it, they started to sing. I've never seen that. People after, they started to sing. It was like the joyous moment that I've seen in that church ever. And then they stopped and they went home. The police didn't come back. That day, next day, next day, next day. 
They finish the church, they finish the bathrooms, nice toilets. They finish the pastor's house. They finished everything. We worshipped a few months, and then the police came. When they came, they wanted to demolish the church. And my father said to the pastor, hey, go. Why? They are going to arrest you. Well, you said that you should go to prison for God. My father said, nonsense. <laughs> but, 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 but elder, you said, I said, my father said, listen, you don't understand. Doesn't make sense for all to go to prison. If we all go to prison, who is going to reach the city? He said, I am old, getting retired. I go to prison and reach the, reach the inmates. You are young pastor. God has a plan for you. You stay and you reach the city. Let's divide. Half of us go to prison. Half of us stay free. <laughs> and my father said, go through the back door. You are young. God still has work for you. Disappear. Take three days vacation. Go. The pastor took his wife. He left. My father went to the door. Do you have a warrant? Yes. He opened the door. My father said, who built the church? My father said, me, you can arrest me, leave the others alone. And another elder stepped, no, me, you can arrest me. And another elder said, me, you can arrest me. And eventually the whole church stepped up, we build the church. They scratched their head. Who is the leader? And my father said, me. And another elder said, me. And another, eh. They said, man, who should we arrest? <laughs> eventually my father said, leave them alone. I did it. They commanded the workers to come with bulldozers to demolish the church. My father called the church and the children said, stay in front of the walls. The workers said, we are not going to go through human flesh. So they stepped off the bulldozers. The police started to curse and then the police wanted to get on the bulldozers, but they didn't know how to drive it. <laughs> so eventually they left the church alone. But they took my father to the police station. And the guy hit the table. I told you to stop building churches, to stop bringing Bibles, to stop doing evangelism. I told you, we'll kill you. My father said, happy to die. And the guy took the gun, put it in my father's chest. My father said, hold, hold on a second. Let me unbutton. And the guy said, are you crazy? You don't need to. The bullet goes through the shirt. My father said, oh, I know. But I got this shirt from the mall last week. It's new. Why would you want to stain it? Many people don't have a shirt. Let me take it off, give it to somebody poor, and then you can shoot me. And the guy says, are you crazy? You are concerned for the shirt and somebody poor when you are dying? My father said, I don't care for my life. You don't get it. Unless you kill me, you'll never stop me. I care for God more than for me. So it, you cannot threaten me with life because I, I gave my life to Jesus. If you want me to live, I live. If you want me to die, I die. I don't care. You, you don't get it. And the guy shook his hand, you are crazy. My father said, yes. He said, you agree? Yes. You are crazy? Yes. Because God's wisdom is foolishness for you guys. <laughs> so the guy called the chief of police. Man, we cannot stop this guy. We cannot scare him off. He, he's going to keep building churches. What should we do? The other guy called the mayor. The mayor said, kill him. He gave precise order, kill him, to teach them a lesson. So nobody will do that again. So the chief of police called the officer and said, kill him. We have order from the mayor. The officer said, I'm sorry, but I really have to kill you. <laughs> Master, let me pray. Oh, nobody's going to save you even if you pray. My father said, oh, I'm not, I'm not praying to be saved. I am already saved. <laughs> My father put his arm around the shoulder of the police officer. I said, Lord, what a privilege to die for you. But Lord, I don't want to die for nothing. Jesus died that we will be saved. Would you please let me die so this man will be saved? I want him to be neighbor with me in heaven. I want to see him and his family saved. Would you please forgive him and save him? Thank you. Amen. 
And the guy says, you make it really difficult. <laughs> and then the guy apologized, took the gun, and the telephone started to ring. He picked up the follow, and it was the, 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 the deputy of the city, the one under the mayor. He said, don't you touch him. After the mayor gave the order, he got in his car. As he exited the city building, as he exited the, the city hall, the building, a big truck with a drunk driver hit the mayor's car and killed the mayor. The mayor just died. Don't you touch this man. Leave him alone. Because the spirit of God lives in him. So they said, you can go home. My father came home and says, let's build another one. <laughs> and I said, I said, how did you know that God would save you? And he shook his head and he said, son, you're not a Christian. I said, what do you mean? He said, you don't get it. I said, what do you mean? I said, how did you know that God will save you? He said, son, you don't get it. You don't have a relationship with God. I said, what do you mean? He said, I didn't know, but I didn't care. Why do you care so much for self? You don't need to know if God will save you or not. If he knows, that's good enough for me. I don't need to know. I just need to trust. Do you follow? Why don't we have that story? Why do you have that? Why, why don't you or you or you have that story? Let me tell you why don't we have power. We don't have power because we don't pray that way. Because we are not ready to sacrifice that way. Jesus says, you are my martyrs. The disciples knew that they would pay with their life. They didn't care because Jesus came first. For us, we say, oh, how I love Jesus. Are you ready to sacrifice your life for Jesus? Well, you say yes, and you may, you may, I believe you. But if I ask you tonight, would you give your house to the church? And you say no, then why do you think you will sacrifice your life if you are not willing to give your house? <laughs> if I say, would you give tonight, would you commit, and it's not about money, please don't get me wrong, we are not going to have an offering tonight. Would you commit $50,000 to the church? How many of you say yes? Well, pastor, I don't have it. I don't care. Give your house. Give your car. I don't care. Give whatever you have. Would you? I tell you what. Whatever. You cannot give up. That's what you love more than God. Hello? Whatever. You cannot give up. That's what you worship. Because if you love God more than anything, then you are willing to give anything to God. If you love God more than your life, you are willing to give your life. If you love God more than your job, you are willing to give your job. If you love God more than whatever, you are willing to give whatever because God comes first. And if there is something that you have doubts, second thoughts, oh, what, what am I going to do if I give it to God? Where am I going to sleep tonight? If you have second thoughts, <clears throat> that means that you love that thing more than God and you don't trust God's promise. Seek first and the other things will be provided. And because we are not willing to be his martyrs, God is never going to work through you and through me. Because if God gives you unlimited power, as he promised, he promised unlimited, 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 infinite, no limits, power. If God gives you power and you are not born again and you are selfish, you are going to use that power in your own way. You need to be fully controlled by God to get fully his power. So when you get power, he controls you how you use that power. Hello? Did you hear what I said? Therefore, the disciples were supposed to pray until 
The Holy Spirit came and took over. And Elena says beautifully, and you'll see the quotations tomorrow. She says that when they became one, there was no more strife, no more attempt to be the first one, no more selfishness. When they gave up self and were ready to die for one another, they obeyed Jesus' prayer. Jesus said, when they are one, as you, Father, and me are one. Can you imagine that type of unity in the church to be one as Father and Son and the Holy Spirit are one? When they are one, then... People will know they are my people. Then the world will know. Then they... So, so the disciples gave up self, gave up their life, gave up everything. They, they totally surrendered. They totally became one. And when they were ready, finally, the Holy Spirit took over and gave them power. It's not going to happen to us before we go through that process. And the question is, how do you give up everything? Because I want to give up, and please trust me, I have hard time. I am honest with you. Would you agree with me? It's easy to say, but not so easy to do. For instance, I have an argument with my wife. I am always right. <laughs> and only when I am not right, I am happy. <laughs> you understand? But if you think that you are right, that means that you decide, not God. Because if you think that God is right, that means that you are wrong. And so you don't have an argument, because if you are wrong, why would you have an argument? You need to surrender. You need to die. Dead people don't have arguments. Only living people have arguments. And so, if you are not dead to self, the Holy Spirit cannot control you. You cannot be used by God. You are not a Christian. You cannot go to heaven. And we would rather go to church and sing kumbaya and do whatever than to die to self. And so let me, let me try to conclude with something here. Oops. What did I do? Okay, doesn't matter. Let me try to conclude with something here. How do you do the surrender? Can you, in human power, fully surrender? I'm going to tell you tomorrow precisely what the Bible says what the spirit of prophecy says and what the disciples did. I'm going to give you just a hint into it. She says that they gathered in the upper room. Please pay attention. This is crucial. I'm going to repeat it again tomorrow and go deeper. They gathered in the upper room because they were afraid. The Bible says in Luke, Eleanor says clearly, they were afraid of the Pharisees. It's very clear in the Bible. I could give you the Bible verse. You know it. They were afraid. of. They gathered in the upper room to hide. And they, she says they started to pray for protection. Lord, please protect us from the Pharisees. Oh, they killed Jesus. Can you imagine what they are going to do to me? But then she says that they remember Jesus' promise for the Holy Spirit. And they started to pray for the Holy Spirit. And the more they forgot self and prayed for the Holy Spirit, what's the key? They prayed for what? Why don't you do that? Because you cannot change yourself. Only the Holy Spirit can change you. The more they pray for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit came more and more and took over their mind. And then she says, this is the key word, illuminated their mind to understand what? To understand the Calvary. What's the connection? I don't get it. Now listen carefully. And they, she says, Finally, understood what happened on the cross. 
And then she has that beautiful quotation. They understood that God, the Almighty, the Creator, the one that angels cover themselves and they sing, holy, 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 worth is the Lamb, the one that the universe worships, God, the, the righteous, the holy, the bright, the glorious, came down and took human body and he took your sins and my sins and God died on the cross. God died for you. God died for you. God died for me and for you. And she says it totally overwhelmed, it cracked them when they understood that he is the lamb that they have been sacrificing forever, that he is the one that they had in the sanctuary, that everything that they did was about him. And he was the one who led them through the wilderness. He was the one who split the sea. He was the one who got them out of Egypt. He is God. And he died on the cross for them. He took the world, the whole world's sin, and he died. And she says, when they finally grasped that, that understanding of the cross, she says, grabbed their hearts, melted their hearts to the degree that they loved him more than they loved self. Do you understand how change happens? She says also in a different quotation, at the foot of the cross, I put it in my words, as we behold his sacrifice, as we look and understand his sacrifice, that's the reason Paul says, it's amazing, I want to be one with his sacrifice. At the foot of the cross, as we fix our eyes and behold, she says, we are changed without human effort into his image. Without human effort. Without human effort. It just happens. As you behold, you are changed from glory to glory. By beholding. You can try forever to change yourself. You will never manage. You will just show off. Happy Sabbath. Happy Sabbath. How are you doing? Good. You're good. Go praise the Lord. I was in a parking lot meeting a church brother. Happy Sabbath, happy Sabbath. How are you? Good, you good. Praise the Lord. How is your job? Good. Your family, good. Amen, hallelujah. After I preached, he comes to me, Pastor, can I talk to you? Yes. We went to my office. Pastor, my wife left me. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I lost my job too. I said, but I asked you in the parking, how is your family? He said, good. I said, how is your work? You said, good. Oh, that's how we greet, Pastor. We don't mean it. You follow me? It's all a facade. But it's not inside. And the inside doesn't happen unless you understand the cross. That's the reason life eternal is to know God. When you understand God's love, it totally grabs you. God's love compels you, God's love transforms you, God's love changes you, God's love saves you. When you fix your eyes upon Jesus, when you turn your eyes and look fully his sacrifice, his cross, you can never be the same. You are happy to die for him. Not only to lose your house, not only to lose your job, not only to go to prison, you consider it a privilege to die for him. God died for me, hey, I'm so happy to die for him. 
You go to prison like Paul. Paul was in prison. What was he doing in prison? Singing. Are you crazy, brother? You sing in prison? Yay! <laughs> rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Always rejoice. He rejoice. Dying. And he... Because you cannot help. When you understand that Jesus loves me, this I know. When you really grasp it, you cannot help but do like Mr. Clark. Yay, yay, now I have seen it. Now I got to tell everybody. You get it? Remember, after Jesus died and was resurrected, the women go to the grave. You remember? And there is an angel there. And they think he's the gardener. And they talk to him and he says, he was resurrected. <laughs> now, if we had a funeral today, if we had a funeral, brother uh, Jimmy died. And we go to the cemetery and we bury him and we put dirt and we leave. And tomorrow I say to you, hey, he's not there. <laughs> we just buried him yesterday. Now, I saw him walking. You say, go to the doctor, pastor. <laughs> I mean, when the angel told them, he's not there, he was resurrected. They say, you have taken him and put him somewhere. <laughs> and, G and the angel says, remember, what did the angel say? Come and see. Then go and tell. You can never go and tell before you see it. I've never seen in my life a witness in the court of law that goes to the judge as a witness and says, so-and-so told so-and-so who told so-and-so who told me. You cannot be a witness unless you see it. That's what John says. What we have seen, that's what we tell you. The reason we have no power, no transformation, no success, is that we have not seen the cross. We talk a lot about the cross, but we have not seen the cross. If you really want to experience the power that is real, that changes you, changes your family, changes the world. Ellen White says, this subject, if properly understood and preached, she says, quote, it will illuminate the whole world and finish the work. This subject, she says, Jesus, 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 three times. If this subject, his love, if he's properly understood, it will illuminate the whole world and finish the work. We have not seen the cross. And that's where transformation happens. At the foot of the cross. Uh, the cross, uh, the cross. You know the song, don't you? That's where power happens. That's where everything changes. At the foot of the cross. If you really want something in your life, in your family, in your church, in your place of work, in your neighborhood, in your city, in your country. Remember a hand of powerless, poor disciples, persecuted disciples. When they understood, she says, they prayed. When the Holy Spirit came, illuminated their mind, so they understood the cross. When they understood the cross, they were transformed, and they went joyfully, preaching boldly with the power that the world has never seen before, because they understood that God loves them. It was not only talk, it was assurance. And when they went with that understanding, everybody could see something different. In a selfish society where everybody is focused on self, these people didn't care about self. 
In a powerless society, these people had power. In a hopeless society, these people had hope. How can you preach hope when you don't understand hope? How can you preach faith when you don't have faith, you doubt? You need to see it, to live it, in order to have power to give it. The disciples, when they understood this subject, they turned, she says, quote, the world upside down. They turned the world upside down. Not their city, the whole known world. That's the reason we don't have power. And we need to pray together for the Holy Spirit to take over, to illuminate our mind, to help us understand the cross. So we are transformed and we are filled by God's power and God's love. And then we can finish the work. This is a subject to really meditate upon and implement. God is calling you as his people. Look around. Jesus is coming. There is no more time to lose. Don't play games with God. There is no more time to lose. And God is calling you to be totally serious about this subject. To bow down and say, Lord, I do have needs. But I don't care about anything. You love me. You gave Jesus for me. I know you'll take care of me. I'm not going to pray for myself. I'm going to forget myself. I'm going to sacrifice myself. I'm going to pray, Lord, that you fill me and my family with your spirit. I'm going to pray, Lord, that you fill my church with your spirit. I'm going to pray, Lord, that you open my mind to understand you. Because to know you is life eternal. To understand the cross. That's what people in the Bible wanted. Moses, let me see you. David, I want to know you. People in the Bible focused on God. That's what's going to change you. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Let's finish tonight. It was about to be 40 minutes. And we went about 40 prophetic minutes. <laughs> but this is what we are going to do. I'm going to let whoever is in charge for prayer take over. After, we take a few minutes. And you privately humble yourself before the Lord and say, forgive me because I've been focusing on anything but this. And Lord, I am asking you, I give you permission, I give you my consent to do whatever you want to me, regardless how painful, and to help me be filled with the Holy Spirit, to help me see the cross, to help me know you. Lord, please, would you help me understand your love? Would you help me understand to the degree that it grasps my heart and melts it and changes it? Because this only would change your heart. Nothing else. Church is good. Our doctrines are good and biblical. But doesn't matter how many doctrines you know, it's not going to change your heart unless you are filled with God's presence and God's spirit and God's love. Don't get me wrong. It's not, oh, you have God's love and then you can break the commandments. If you have God, if you love God, you will obey God. This is not about disobedience. This is about being not only filled with God's theory, but being filled with God's presence too. You follow me? Take a few minutes, pray privately, and then whoever is in charge will take over and we will divide it probably in small groups and pray a little more. When we pray more, I know you have problems, 
But try to refrain tonight. You have been praying for your problems forever. Stop it for a second. Refrain tonight and pray together for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit over this group. Amen? God bless you. Take a few minutes and pray private.
if somebody wants to go out, maybe in nature, in group and pray there, whatever, feel free to go. Remember, this is not a one-time deal. We need to daily be filled, baptized with a new measure of the Holy Spirit. So pray that this will be ongoing experience so God could transform you and grow you.